Hey, this is Kay, and you're tuned into The Wow Factor. Join us as we talk with passionate guests who shed light on all things wellness. Join in our conversations and find inspiration to live well, be well, and discover your wealth of wellness. Today, we have Dr. Tanya Loken, naturopathic medicine and women's health doctor at Catalyst Medical Center. Dr. Tanya is a Fargo native and has been serving patients locally for four years. Tanya's passion is getting to the root cause of symptoms to help patients better understand their health and create long-term solutions so patients can live their happiest, healthiest, most beautiful life. Dr. Tanya loves to treat patients from the inside out by digging deep into a wide variety of health concerns. She has a doctorate in naturopathic medicine and a master of science in nutrition. Her blend of supplements, therapy, and coaching helps treat her patients from a unique approach. Hi, Dr. Tanya. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you too. When I was, you know, just getting to know you and reading your bio, I was like, I just absolutely love that you're out here and you're, you're doing great things and you're working with such a great, great place as Catalyst. I I've been working with Catalyst for quite some time too. And it's just so much fun to see that you've uh, been onboarded into, into the Catalyst family. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about, it looks like you have so much passion for health, wellness, women's health. Can you tell us how that got started? Like, let's go back to the beginning. How did you discover that passion? Sure. And that it's such a great question, but I, it, it could have started so long ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always knew that I wanted to, to be a doctor that was never really a question in my head. I just was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And ironically enough, I really started out wanting to do emergency medicine, which totally different than what I do now, like total 180. Um, but I got started really doing ride-alongs here in Fargo at FM Ambulance. And I got my EMT and I did first aid and I did lifeguarding and I used to teach EMT classes. And I went to school at UND and I said, you know, I really love nutrition let, let me get a nutrition major while, while I do my pre-med classes. And that was really the first kind of spark in my head and in my kind of in my passion of, gosh, I really love nutrition and I really see its impact on people's health and, and daily well-being. Well, if you fast forward just a little bit, um, about half through school, my my passion for nutrition was like wow this is really cool I love educating I love getting out into the community and talking to people about health and wellness and prevention and I said you know there's got to be a better way than just constantly chasing symptoms right we just constantly chase symptoms and read mm -hmm. lab values and don't really get to the root cause of why people are feeling icky right or I use the word icky a lot because people sometimes just feel icky mm -hmm. and I said, you know, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a better way. And I actually went down to Arizona to visit my father who saw a naturopathic doctor there. And I ended up seeing him for some health concerns. And after our visit, I told my dad, I was like, you know, I don't think I want to be a, a, a medical doctor anymore. I don't think I want to be a regular doctor. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? 
because of course we saw his naturopathic doctor as a regular doctor down in Arizona. So it kind of threw him for a loop too. And I said, you know, he was one of the smartest men, one of the smartest doctors I had ever met with. He talked to me about biochemistry. He taught me about my health concerns. He taught me about why I was feeling the way I was feeling and how I could fix it. And that was such a new paradigm for me that it really just sparked my interest into continued health, wellness, and prevention, which is what really landed me in naturopathic medical school, getting my doctorate, getting my master's degree in nutrition, and really trying to get to the root cause of why people feel icky and helping educate them about why they feel the way they feel. I absolutely love that. I love that your passion sparked and kind of grew in a, a very unique scenario and um, that you, you know, you were, you know, kind of down one path and then you, you know, had that pivot that just found you. So that's incredible. So, so what is, um, you, you know, you're talked about being a naturopath versus, you know, being a medical, like a medical doctor and like the sense of what we, you know, as people just think of a medical doctor in like a hospital situation. So can you kind of go into what is a naturopath, especially what kind of naturopathic medicine are you specifically uh, practicing? Sure. So in the U.S., um, we talk about naturopathic doctors in a very kind of specific way, mostly because those of us who can ourselves naturopathic doctors legally and who have a license to treat people from a medical standpoint went to a four-year naturopathic uh, accredited naturopathic school. So there's five of them in the country, there's two in Canada, and we all passed a set of rigorous boards, two sets actually, and that allows me to to practice medicine. So that's where, you know, um, part of that naturopathic doctor piece comes from. And those of us who went to those schools, we were all trained very similarly. We learned biochemistry, we learned nutrition, we learned pathology, we learned physiology, we learned anatomy. Um, so all of those basic science courses that we would have taken in a medical program. Following that, those next two years, we get about 2,000 hours of hands-on patient care in addition to all of what we used to call our ologies. And those would have been things like endocrinology, gastroenterology, uh, oncology, uh, you know, women's health gynecology, things like that, where we really dove into each of those different body systems and each of those different pathologies that a patient would come in with. And so in many states, that actually allows me to practice as a primary care provider. So where I went to school, actually the rights and responsibilities of treating patients as a primary care provider, which I don't have here in North Dakota, um, but I was able to write prescriptions. I was able to do minor surgery and that's purely just a state licensing difference. So I did a lot of that in, in Oregon. Um, from a, a treatment standpoint though, we really like to think about philosophy and how we treat our patients. And there's definitely a hierarchy in that, that makes us stand out as providers, right? So I would think about why that patient is sick, why they got to where, they're, where they are currently, and how we can restore their health back to balance. So instead of saying, you know what? All right, Kayla, you, you, have, you have headaches. Let's give you a medicine for that. I would look a little bit further and say, well, why do you have headaches? Is it your hormones? Is it your stress? Is it your muscles? Is it your environment? And let's find out which one of those is causing 
housing your head. There's a little bit of a philosophy and paradigm difference there between naturopathic medicine and, you know, kind of conventional medicine, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I would say, maybe one of our biggest differences. Of course, we all want our patients to get better. We all want our patients to feel better and to live, you know, the lives that they desire. So um, I think there's a really awesome team approach that happens, especially here at Catalyst, because I do have medical doctors that I work with. I do have nurse practitioners. I do have PAs that I get to work with. Um, And so I think we make a really good team that way because we all have a little bit of a different viewpoint. You know, that's so true. I like that you, you said that and, you know, being in a, being able to be in a private practice and, and, you know, having that unique um, group and unique people, teammates that you can work with. It it gives you all the more power to, like you said, discover, you know, what's going on. How do we, how do we treat, how do we, how do we get this person to feel less icky? And that's, amazing because I think I hear that the most too is like the word icky is so true it's like you're just kind of feeling you know there's not something like wrong wrong but it's like I'm just not I'm not living to my fullest potential I'm not living to my I'm not feeling my best and I really like that you look at it from this way of you know asking why or you know it's more like a discovery um, component of it and, and really diving into what the patient is feeling. And I just, I have such a, I have such a passion for it too, because, um, I just feel like it's nice to have a variety. It's nice to have people doing things in a naturopathic way. Um, that's like my first opt is (laughs) when I, when I think of my healthcare, I'm like, I would, I would much, I would feel more at ease, I would say, as a patient, going the more going a naturopathic route. It just feels right, and I, I just really enjoy that you're you're here and available for everyone. <laughs> um, I love that. So, kind of diving into, you know, there's a, you know, you talk a lot about okay, so you're doing women's health, and um, in your naturopathic, what are some of your specialties that you're focusing on in women's health right now? Yeah, women's health is so comprehensive, right? I mean, you take women and you're like, wow, it's everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say most of the things I see, and you know, today's a perfect example. I just finished up with a patient right prior to uh, our call here. And it, it, was, it was one of those days where hormones were a really big thing. Everybody had some hormone imbalance. Everybody has some stress related to COVID and related to this pandemic that we're dealing with right now. Um, and stress plays a really big factor into hormones. And so, you know, women tend to be kind of our stress people, right? Like they take on a lot. They take on, you know, work, family life, et cetera. And that really plays a role into their hormonal health picture. And I see a lot of that. And that's been something that's been really fun to dig into and help women with because it affects every single part of their life, Right. It affects their bellies, it affects their weight, it affects their sleep, it affects their brain, it affects their sex drive. Um, And so hormones are one of those things that I really like to dive into. Along that line, we also do a lot of thyroid health. And so whether that's, you know, hypothyroid, hyperthyroid, um, 
you know, trying to discover kind of what their root cause of their thyroid issue is, um, is a really big piece of my practice. And then the other thing that I see a lot of, and I think it goes along with that stress and hormone piece is, is gut health. And, you know, a lot of us are stressed, our gut and our brain talk more than any two systems of our body and stress really affects the way that our, our bellies behave. You know, it's like that saying that says, you know, I have a gut feeling. We have a gut feeling for a reason, right? It's because we sense a lot of that neurological stress, uh, you know, dis-ease kind of in our bellies. And that leads to unwanted symptoms. And those symptoms might include gas, bloating, constipation, um, you know, just feeling bloated and feeling like, oh, my belly just feels icky today. And I don't know why. And so that's another kind of key part of my practice is getting women to feel like their bellies are, are digesting their food and feeling better. There's nothing worse, right. Than putting on your dress pants in the morning, being able to button them. And then at the end of the day, you go home and they're unbuttoned because they're so tight from the whole, you know, the day, cause you've kind of bloated out throughout the day. Oh um, my goodness. Story of my life. <laughs> yeah. I hear it all the time and I'm like, Oh, thank God for those like dress yoga pants that they've come out with because you know, now everybody just, it's no big deal. Um, and you know, it isn't the fault of my patients in the sense that they, you know, didn't go and have, you know, three buffet dinners for lunch kind of a thing. Um, it's just that, that kind of unsettled belly, that dysbiosis that happens in the gut, that maldigestion of our food. And um, it's really bothersome to women, right? Men could care less, right? They're just walking around farting and they think it's funny. And um, <laughs> women are like, oh no, <laughs> like I can't do this anymore. I need you to fix the bloating because I feel terrible. So I think that those things would probably be the the kind of crooks and center of my practice. And of course we branch out from there into, you know, women bring their men in and women bring their children in. And um, that, you know, comes to about 25% of my practice only. Okay. Well, I, those are three topics, like the things that you're talking about with the gut health, the thyroid health and the hormones. I've been hearing a lot in just like researching and just like having interviews and talking with people about these things and they are and with the stress factor kind of like coming into play um and then i heard this really interesting topic about your gut being your second brain and i thought oh my goodness that is interesting can you explain a little bit about that correlation why people are associating the gut to be the second brain yes absolutely so kind of what i mentioned was you know the gut and the the brain talks so much, right? Mm -hmm. But we also have a lot of those brain hormones like serotonin, uh, you know, dop dopamine that are really uh, centered around the gut and that's where they're made. Uh, melatonin, for example, um, and they're made in the gut and that gut then kind of tells us, tells our brain how to feel, which is so interesting, right? Because you think your brain is just the center of everything <laughs> and it's really not, right? Our gut actually tells our brain more than our brain tells our gut. And so, you know, when you have anxiety, where do you feel it? Like your brain doesn't feel anxious. Like a lot of people feel it in their bellies. And so those, you know, that's really where that correlation comes from is that that brain is that second or that gut is that second brain. Um, 
The other thing I think about a lot with my patients is that when we have stress, right, and we perceive stress, that's definitely coming from the brain. But then when we think of those downstream effects of what our belly tells us, right? So we have stress, but then we feel it in our stomach. We might feel anxious. We might feel it turning. We might feel butterflies. We might get diarrhea. We might get constipated, right? Mm-hmm. And those are those gut symptoms, right? So I have a gut feeling about my anxiety is what a lot of people will say. And it's just, it's so interesting that they're so interconnected. Um, we also have this nerve that runs really from our brain to our gut. And it's called our vagus nerve. And it's really a super highway for communication. So not only from a bacterial standpoint, like from a microbiome standpoint, but from a a stress response standpoint, right? So when we talk about our nervous system, we talk about that fight or flight response versus that rest and digest response. And that rest and digest response is sometimes hard to achieve based on the life that we live, right? So if we're go, go, go all the time, burning the candle at both ends, never taking time for ourselves, like women tend to do, that nervous system gets really fried. And it's really hard to kind of get that nervous system back in check and get us back into that rest and digest mode. And so we often will work on a lot of those things with our patients to say, let's get back into rest and digest or into that parasympathetic mode so that you're actually resting, you're repairing, you're digesting and absorbing your food and your nutrients so that you have building blocks to repair so that when you get up tomorrow, you actually have a whole brand new person pretty much, right? You have kind of the reserve ready to go for the next day. I don't think we do that enough. You know, that is so true. And I mean, just even from my own personal experiences of, you know, if I'm pushing too hard, there's like that fine balance between, you know, pushing enough to, you know, be pushing yourself in a positive way. And I tend to like go a little too far and my body tells me my, my tummy I get bloated or I get those symptoms you're describing. I get some weight gain sometimes. And I'm like definitely using that as a, as a factor of when to slow down. But what I've been trying to figure out, maybe this would be something we can share with the audience and just share with as like a little tidbit is like, how do we find that, that balance or that, you know, parasympathetic mode? How do we create that before we um, get overwhelmed and have those symptoms? Is there a way to find a a homeostasis or a a sense of calm? Um, Do you have any tips for that for for people? That's a really good question because you are exactly right. Sometimes we don't check in enough and we don't realize that we're so stressed until we're like right about ready to fall off the cliff, right? Right, totally. (laughs) And so often I will talk about kind of just daily things, (laughs) Um, just daily things, things that people can do every single day in their lives to help keep them from getting to that point of, you know, that like, I'm so close to just being so overwhelmed that I can't handle it anymore. Um, And it doesn't need to take all day. It doesn't need to take hours out of your day. It can be a simple, you know, five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. Like most of us have that time It's just where we're prioritizing that time. And so one of the simplest things that I have patients do, um, and it it achieves a couple of things. So one of the simplest things I have them do is I have them start to a gratitude journal. 
And that gratitude journal has been actually studied in, in the literature to change the way that the brain responds to stress and events. So for example, there was a study that looked at a bunch of nurses and they had these nurses write down something, five things that they were grateful for every night before they went to bed. And it couldn't be like superficial things like, oh, I'm just grateful to be alive today. No, no, no. This needed to be something like, I'm grateful that I got to work with this wonderful patient, you know, et cetera. They had to put a little bit of thought into it. But those simple five things that they were grateful for over the course of six weeks changed their outlook, not only on their jobs, on their lives, but it also decreased their stress. So their perception of how their day was going was improved. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful if you think about just writing some things down at night and reflecting on your day. Um, and so that doesn't take much time, right? I would, I would say that safely, I could say that everybody has time to do that. You might just need to turn your phone off and stop looking at Facebook a few minutes before. <laughs> oh, um, amen. That isn't that the truth? <laughs> the, yeah. the social media. Yeah, yeah. you'll find time, I promise. Because if you look back at your phone, you've probably... Yeah, you've probably been on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever, for three hours today, right? Um, I promise you can find five minutes to do that. The other thing that I like to have my patients do is I like to have them do something that's called four square breathing. And four square breathing is so easy. Um, and what it does is, like we talked about that, that vagus nerve, is it helps that vagus nerve get into rest and digest. And so what I have patients do is I have them breathe in for four seconds, I have them hold that breath for four seconds. They exhale for four seconds and then they hold that exhale for four seconds. So it ends up being like a 16 second breath, if you will. And I have them do that just four times. Um, and that's really, you know, what, a minute and a half? Uh, you can do it 10 times, you can do it 15, kind of whatever your time allows. But that will actually turn that nervous system back over into rest and digest. And it helps stimulate that vagus nerve. And it, it just really helps with, I'm going to say bringing them back to the center, like bringing them back into their body, forgetting about what's going around, on around them. Um, they have to count, right? So that's another part of our brain that we're using. And it really just brings us back into, okay, I'm present in my body. I know that I'm st sitting here, I'm going to eat food, or I'm going to, you know, sit down and have a conversation with someone or I need to divert my attention to something else. And it's a really, really easy way to, uh, to just help that nervous system before it gets too fried, if you will. Isn't that incredible? Like the simple things, the little things that yep. it can just make a world of difference. I know when I'm actively, I have a prayer journal and if I'm actively in that, my mindset is so much more clear for the day. And when I'm not in that, I definitely can feel it. And it's like healthy, creating those healthy habits. So that kind of brings me to how would you suggest people integrate this? Like what would it like maybe set a timer for each morning for the same time to just set it in your phone to go off and say 10 minutes of journaling and breathing? Or how would you suggest people kind of start to integrate that and create those healthy habits? Right. Cause just like you said, it's hard to create those habits and it takes a while. Um, and you know, you bring up another good point about how do I do that? Well, phones are a great way to do that. Calendars, reminders, things like that. 
I have a reminder on my watch and on my phone. Um, I don't know. I didn't actually put it on there, but it reminds me to breathe, which is really, which is really fun. Cause I'm like, wait, am I not breathing? Like what's going on? Uh, but it, it says, you know, like take a breath, right? Like settle down, like take a minute, take a breath. Um, and I have that reminder on my phone and it does a little ding and, oh, oh yeah, that's right. I need to, you know, I need to take a step back. Like I've been go, go, go. I haven't even had a drink of water today, you know, or I haven't gone to the bathroom or it just like brings you back to real life and says, okay, stop. So I think phones are a great way to do that. I also think that just creating that space in your life um, and creating like kind of just carving out some time. So even if it's five minutes in the morning, mornings are hard for a lot of people, um, which is why I often suggest people do it in the morning. So it sounds, you know, a little counterintuitive to say, I know your mornings are hard, but I want you to add this other thing. Mornings are hard for a reason, right? It's because we're not organized in the morning. We don't like to get up in the morning. We stayed up too late the night before. But if you knew that you had a commitment every morning at 6.30, from 6.30 to 6.35, do some deep breathing and to really give yourself that time. Most of my patients, once they start doing it, they, uh, they really appreciate it and they really don't forget to do it. So once they've done it for a couple of weeks, they're like, I don't miss this time at all because this is my time. This is the time I have for the day. And it makes them more successful and it makes them more um, productive throughout the rest of their day when they start their day like that. I, other, I love that. Yes. The only other thing I was going to say is, um, you know, I, I always say pick a time where you know that you don't really have anything going on, right? Mm-hmm. So don't pick a time where you know you're going to fail, right? Don't pick 1230. <laughs> like that's silly. You know that you have a lunch meeting. You know that you ha- are going to go over on your patient load or you're going to go over on your, you know, work meeting or whatever it is. Don't pick five o'clock, right? You're driving home from work. You have to pick up your kids. You have sports or activities. Pick a time where you know you're going to be successful. So set yourself up for success from the beginning so that you don't feel like, oh, well, this is too hard. I can't do it because let's be real. Five minutes, you can do it, I promise. Um, and, you know, if you can't find five minutes in your day, then I think we really need to prioritize where your health is uh, in your life, right? Because five minutes is a very short amount of time. Um, you know, there's so many other things that we can do to help create space and awareness for ourselves. But the one thing that I really, really like to kind of hit home for my patients is routine is really important. And not only do our bodies thrive off of routine, they really need it. And so creating that routine in your life is really, really important. So whatever that looks like, right? It's getting up at the same time every day, if it's going to bed at the same time every night, if it's always sitting down to dinner at the same time, Um, if it's creating some of these healthy, you know, five minute habits throughout your day, our adrenal glands, right? Those hormone, those glands that release our stress hormones, they really, really like routine. And so if someone has some adrenal imbalance, cortisol imbalance, hormone imbalance, thyroid stuff, um, the first thing we're going to talk about is creating routine in your life, including food choices, including sleep, uh, and including, you know, just kind of daily habits because your body needs that. Uh, And if you don't have that, things are always more out of whack than what they need to be. 
That is so incredibly true. And like a lot of these things that, that you're saying, you know, are in what I love about it is they're things that people can start integrating into their lives right away, rather than, you know, we panic if something, if we start to feel really uncomfortable and yes, it's so important to make that appointment, but it's also being really just mindful and, and cognizant of your body and being in tune with, Hey, are you, what are you doing differently? How many bites of chocolate have you had this week, Kayla? I'm speaking to myself here. (laughs) (laughs) And there is a balance between like, if I'm, if I'm stressed and all I have is a chocolate bar and I need something and I eat it. And then if I do that three days in a row, by the fourth day, I'm a hot mess and I'm bloated and I'm, so it's really true. And it's something that I feel too is, you know, it's our, it's like our own, each of our own individual practices to that we can bring into our lives and start making these simple adjustments. And I, and I kind of have a feeling in more cases than not, when people start having success in these little wins, other things start to fall into place as well. So I kind of feel like, um, these are some really great tips for, for, for listeners to kind of just integrate and kind of get rolling. Um, so is that the therapeutic order and diet lifestyle or is that something different? Yeah. So our therapeutic order actually in naturopathic medicine, when we talk about philosophy and we talk about this therapeutic order is, is a really interesting concept because it really sets us apart from other healthcare providers. Um, and the therapeutic order is really fundamental in the way that I treat patients. And I say that for a couple of reasons, mostly because not only do we think about the therapeutic order as a, as a high of treatment, I also think about it as a, as, a, as a treatment itself, right? So the first thing on that therapeutic order is removing the cause of disease, right? Mm-hmm. We can't go from... Um, you know, we can't go from kind of total dis-ease and chaos and eating crappy food and having all of these things go wrong to being healthy, right? Mm-hmm. That just, that's not, that's not congruent with health. But what we can do is we can find out which one of those things in our lives is impeding our body from healing from a physiological standpoint, right? So my favorite example is like, if you have a if you have a nail in your foot, your foot wound isn't going to heal until you remove that nail, right? right? Like it might heal around it, but it never really same. It might fester, it might get infected. Like you have to remove that cause of the wound, right? So that's the first thing that I think about in that therapeutic order. And then it also gives me a treatment guide for what kind of treatment I should do next if that first one wasn't working. So for example, I'm going to remove the cause of disease, right? We're going to remove the reason why someone got sick in the first place. That might be a stressful lifestyle. That might be a bad relationship. That might be, you know, from a counseling standpoint, that might be some, you know, therapy to help work on past stress and trauma. Um, And then from there, we're going to look at deficiencies, right? So we're going to look at how the body is metabolizing. What does it need in order to function on a daily basis? And how can I support that? That might be through diet. 
that might be through eliminating things, right? Like foods that the body doesn't like, food sensitivity testing, et cetera. And then from there, we kind of move up that therapeutic order into things like supplementation and herbs and having an effect on our body from a non-food standpoint, but like a supplementation standpoint. The other, you know, after that therapeutic order, we really get into the realm of uh, pharmaceuticals. So we think about, you know, actual pharmaceutical intervention. And then that last therapeutic order is surgery. So, you know, as a naturopathic doctor in North Dakota, I don't have that ability to write prescriptions and do minor surgery or do surgeries. So that's where I refer out to my colleagues here at Catalyst. But I get to handle those first four levels of that therapeutic pyramid myself, right? We get to do some testing. We get to look for nutrient deficiencies. We get to look for hormone deficiencies or hormone excess. And we get to choose an appropriate treatment based on what we find. That's like, that's fascinating. I just love hearing about like, this is kind of the process and what one would expect to go through if they were, you know, came to your office. Um, that's really unique. And it's, it's a, it kind of shows a sense of creativity too in your practice because, you know, there's a lot of strategy paired with creativity. Would you say that is true in your practice of a medicine? You know, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, a lot of times we talk about the art and science of medicine, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the art is formulating those treatment plans for patients and finding the right set of laboratory and diagnostic testing, the right intervention for their current condition after we see what's going on. And there's no, there's no algorithm to follow, right? There's no, do you have this or this, then this? And if you have this or this, then there's this. Like, there is none of that, right? Are there things that are common? Sure, right? There are definitely common conditions and common things that, that I see. But just because someone has SIBO or someone has, um, you know, hormone imbalance or someone has something like that, most likely they're not getting the same treatment plan as their friend. Um, it's going to be unique to them. It's going to be unique to uh, exactly what they're going through at that time. And it might be somewhere else along that therapeutic order, or it might be somewhere else completely because it's really not a thyroid problem or it's really not a gut problem. It's a hormone problem. Um, I like to you know, say that this is individualized medicine at its best because we get to really tailor each individual treatment plan to that specific patient, to their dietary needs, to their hormone needs, to their nutrient needs, um, and to where they're at on that kind of continuum of what I'm ready and willing to do, right? Because if I give you 75 things to do, you're going to look at me like I'm a crazy person, right? <laughs> be like, listen, lady, I can't do all of this. <laughs> I'd probably walk out and be like, nope. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly where, you know, I think a lot of patients get overwhelmed when they see, you know, providers as, well, they gave me a laundry list of things to change, but I have no idea where to start. Or I have this really complicated test or this food sensitivity testing, but no one told me what to do with it. 
-hmm. and, and I am a flavor. And if I don't tell you how to do it, what to do and why it's important, that's probably going to sit on your fridge, like a painting from your two-year-old that you don't really care about. <laughs> like it's cute and it's fun, but you're probably not going to put it on the wall. Right. And so I think that education goes a long way. And I think that making sure patients understand why they're doing is going to go a long way and what they're doing and why they're doing it is a huge part of their treatment. Um, and making sure that it's really tailored towards them because no two bodies are the same. You know, that's like, again, nail on the head. Like when you say that, you know, we oftentimes think of, you know, an ailment as a blanketed, you know, and like, like you have this, that means X, Y, Z, or you have to deal with this. And instead it's like looking at the person and like how some people may respond differently to different treatments, or some people may heal faster in certain areas, or some people may have a dietary restriction. And it's really, it's like fine tailoring. And that's, I think the beauty of it, because it's looking at the person holistically and in their lifestyle. And, um, that is, that's so, that's just such a incredible thing. And I feel like now, now more than ever in today's day and age, we were seeing more treatments like this and more opportunities to, you know, not only find the education, but also, would you say it's like a, it's like a cognitive behavioral shift for that patient to have to integrate these XYZ changes. And that's like what you're giving them is that, that ability to create healthy habits or to, you know, shift in those ways. Cause I think that can be like the daunt, most daunting thing for whether it's a diagnosis or just hearing that you need to cut back on your caffeine and your hours at work and getting people past that is hard. Have you found it to be have you found some ways that are kind of some tried and true ways that really have been beneficial to many of your patients? Absolutely. And again, we're hitting so many nails on the head today, um, but <laughs> it changes hard, right? I don't care how motivated you are. I don't care how, you know, determined you are. Change is hard, right? And I would say that food change is the hardest because if we look back and you know, in my master's degree in nutrition, we talked a lot about the physio, uh, the psychology of eating. And I would say that most of my patients, their biggest struggle is food. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't food, it's, you know, it, it's letting go of a lifestyle of busy, right? Mm -hmm. Keeping busy, avoiding things. Um, but food is really the number that people have a really hard time changing. And if you look back, you've been eating this way, right? Since you were two, pretty much, right? You have, you grew up like this. Your family did this. Your grandma did this. The apple pie from your grandma's house, the donuts from her freezer, the lemonade, like whatever it is, you've been doing that for your whole life. That might be 50 years. That's a really hard habit to break. And so often education isn't enough, Right. You can know all of the healthy food. You can know all of the best places to eat. It's really about that psychology of eating and breaking those habits and moving into a space where you're going to give yourself permission to fail. You're going to give yourself permission to, uh, you know, make mistakes and to stumble along the way. But I'm going to be your cheerleader 
and I'm going to be your guide and your, you know, kind of your, your person on this journey to making these choices and making your body healthier. And I think the biggest thing that instigates change and continues change in the right path is when people start to feel better, right? So they start to feel better. They start to notice their aches and pains go away. Their brain fog is better. They can find words easier. They're not forgetting why they went into their kid's bedroom. Um, they're, you know, they're more on task at work. They, their sex drive is better. Their joint pains better. Like all of their symptoms are better and they want to continue that snowball effect, which is then when we can add a little bit more change in, and then we can kind of keep that ball rolling. Um, so too much change at once is, once is definitely overwhelming and just won't work. Um, I would say that I have very few patients who are able to make that happen and that's okay um, because we're still moving in the direction even if we're only taking small steps. And so that would be my first say vote of encouragement is small baby steps, right? Like mm -hmm. one little change at a time. It might just be tracking your food, right? It might just be writing down everything you had to eat today. Might, it might have been the whole chocolate bar and that's okay. But tomorrow <laughs> we're going to go back and we're going to look at it and we're going to say, well, where could I have done better? Great. I'm going to focus on breakfast for tomorrow. Like this week breakfast is my meal. Like I'm going to focus on breakfast and I'm going to make healthy breakfast choices. Once you get into that habit, now I get to move on to lunch, right? Instead of going to, you know, fast food down the road today, I'm going to bring my lunch and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of the week. And it's those small little changes like that that make big changes over time. And I always try to remind my patients, it's not what you did once. It's not what you did on occasion. It's what you do the majority of the time that has the biggest impact in your life. And so if you screw up, it's okay. Not all is lost. <laughs> Just keep moving in the right direction and your next meal, your next choice, your next your next night for you to do your gratitude journal, your next day to have a good conversation with your husband or your spouse or whatever is, is what's important, right? Totally. I absolutely love this. This conversation has been amazing. This time has flown by. I want to kind of open up the floor. Do you have any last bits of advice, tips, tricks, or anything that you want to share maybe with our audience about whether it be even COVID related or lifestyle related, is there anything that's really something you feel personally you want to share on, um, on the podcast? Such a good question. Um, but I'm actually, yeah. So one of the things that one of my patients said today, and it was really, uh, it really just hit home. Uh, and as a provider, it's one of those things where you go, huh, this happens outside of my office. Like you don't realize it, but she said, you know, you're, you're the first person who's listened to my story. Um, and I almost cried. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, like you've been to how many doctors and no one has listened to you. Um, and that would be my one vote of encouragement for everyone. I don't care if you see me. I don't care if you see Joe Schmo down the street. Um, find someone who will listen to you. Find someone who will not blow off your symptoms. Someone who will, um, take how you're feeling seriously and dig into it because you know your body better than anyone. And if someone's not listening, they might not be the right fit for you. Um, and believe me, there are plenty 
plenty of providers out there who would love to see you as a patient who, you know, really love to dig into your health concerns and, and want to be part of your healthcare team. Um, and so don't settle for, I'm not sure, or that's not true, or that's in your head, or I, I don't think what you're feeling is, is real, um, or I don't know what's going on. You're probably fine. Like, don't settle for that. Find someone who's going to listen to your story um, and get to the root of why you're feeling icky. I think you said it just perfectly because I, I know personally people who have, you know, and you, and you hear people who like, they'll go to, they will go to some a practice or, and they will have a negative experience and then they will associate that with every, every doctor and they give up. And it's just so encouraging to hear you say those words to those listeners who who've had those experiences or who have been told no, or, you know, been blown off to, to have courage to go see somebody else. Cause that is so true. It's just like finding a partner, a life partner is, you know, there's plenty of fish in the sea. If one doesn't work out, um, you can always find, you know, someone who's gonna, gonna help you. And, um, I think that is just wonderful. So thank you so much, Dr. Tanya. I'd love to share with our audience, where can people, find you on social media? How can they get in touch with you? What are some good connection points? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, the, the Catalyst website is great. We have a little uh, chat bot and she's real. So when you chat with her, it's actually a real person here at Catalyst. Um, and she would be able to answer any questions about how to get a hold of me. Um, the email address that's great. And maybe we can link it in the show notes is just we care at catalystmedicalcenter.com. Uh, that's a great way to get a hold of me and to kind of put a note in or ask questions. Also on social media, I have um, a Catalyst page. It's just Dr. Tanya ND and it's at Catalyst Medical Center uh, or it'll say Catalyst Medical Center there on my Facebook page. There's a, there's a link there to call in. There's a link to schedule the email addresses there. Um, and then you can find more out about my practice at catalystmedicalcenter.com and, you know, gives a little short blurb about what I do and how I can help. And if you ever have questions, though, I would say, you know, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm not, you know, I have, I have time, I'll make time to answer questions and, you know, do some sort of discovery type call. If someone has a question, then to make sure we're a good fit for them. Um, the last thing I would want is for someone to come in and just be like, oh, this is totally not what I expected. Um, but hopefully today after chatting with you and getting, you know, a little bit better idea of what, what I do as a provider and how we treat patients, uh, patient, you know, people can have a better understanding of what their care might look like here. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tanya. Thank you for this wonderful insight, the tips and tricks, and just that all that you had to share today. I think our listeners are just going to love it. And, um, thank you everybody too, for tuning in to the wow factor where we help you find people like Dr. Tanya who can help you live well and be well. Thank you guys for listening and have a great day.